Hello, podcast world, and welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. Over my life, there have been times when I have felt called to do something. Sometimes it's been big, like moving the family to South Africa or starting a baby house. And of course, those decisions weren't mine alone. Sheila and I are very much a team and make those kinds of decisions together. and We both felt that calling. But there are other times that the calling has been smaller or at least a lot less sensational, like starting this little podcast. In my Christian mother tongue, I would say that the Spirit of God is leading or directing or compelling us. Others might say it differently, but I do feel deeply compelled to engage in a conversation around LGBTQIA and specifically the Christian response to our brothers and sisters in that community. It's been something I've been feeling for quite a long time, but I never really had the courage to put it out there. See, I'm a people pleaser. I want everybody around me to be happy everybody around me to be happy with me. I have spent my life trying not to disappoint people. And I've been afraid that there are some that will be disappointed with what I'm going to share, and so I've put it off. But in recent days, I have felt more compelled than ever to be public and clear about where I stand and what I have come to believe. I know I've alluded to this from time to time, and so this may not come as a surprise, but it's a conversation that needs to be had, especially in the church. Do we really mean it when we say everybody is welcome? But I'm getting ahead of myself. My journey with the LGBTQ community goes back to the mid-1980s. When I met Sheila, her brother Neil was living on the West Coast. I had the opportunity to spend a couple of days with him in Seattle when I was there for work. He and I were the same age. We shared a love for music and had quite a bit in common. He was an amazing host and fun to be around. He was talented and witty and incredibly kind. I remember feeling like he and I would become great friends in the years to come and look forward to more time with him. Shortly after that, Neil contracted HIV and AIDS. That's when I found out he was gay. Now, this was back in the mid-80s, mind you, when AIDS was a new illness with all kinds of horrible stigma attached to it. Many Christians saw AIDS as a punishment of God on homosexual people, kind of on the level of Sodom and Gomorrah. I must admit that I was a bit confused because in the world that all good evangelical boys were raised in, homosexuals were evil. Neil was nothing like that. In fact, he was the opposite of everything I imagined a gay man to be. After being pretty sick for a while, his health rallied and he joined us for Christmas back in the Midwest. We had a wonderful time as a family. The kids all adored him. We all did. 
He was warm and caring. We never spoke of his illness or his sexual orientation, which is something I deeply regret. I would love to talk to him now and hear his story and tell him that I love him. That Christmas was the last time that I saw Neil. Shortly after that, AIDS ravaged his body and he passed away on July 16, 1989. But Neil didn't die alone. He had a community of friends around him that provided 24-hour care. They had created a roster, so one of them was always there around the clock 24-7. These people understood sacrifice and love in a way that most of us don't. People that we Christians would have shunned as sinful and evil loved the way that Jesus loved and cared the way that Jesus cared, I remain deeply moved and challenged by their compassion. I think that's why I was so drawn to and impacted by the musical slash movie called Rent when I came across it some 20 years later. It's a story of a community that we Christians would look down on with disdain. Drug use, sex, and homosexuality were automatic disqualifiers for anything that might be good or seen as a valuable learning experience. But this is a story of a community that loved each other deeply without judgment or condemnation. It was a picture of what the church could be and should be, but sadly rarely is. In fact, I was so moved by this film that I decided to preach a sermon on it. I called it God in the Movies. Now, this was back in about 1996 or so, before every church in America did a God in the Movies series. And I knew that I was on the edge in my Baptist church. I knew that many of the members of our congregation would not approve of the adult content of the film. So as I started, I made a disclaimer. I said something like this. While this movie has much to teach us about love and community, it's also a dangerous film because it normalizes homosexuality, drug use, and promiscuity. When I finished, I was pretty chuffed with myself. I thought it all came together really well. Then after the service, I was standing at the door saying goodbye to everybody as they left, as any good Baptist pastor does, and this young man came up to me that I had never seen before. I put my hand out to shake, but he didn't respond. He just looked at me and said, I'm one of those dangerous people, and I'll never come back here again. I was devastated. I wanted to run after him and say, no, that's not what I meant. Please come back. Let's talk. But I didn't do that. And I never saw that young man again. He came to church looking for a community that would love him for who he was a place where he might encounter God, but all he got was judgment from me. At least that's how it felt to him. I've often wondered about that young man. 
wondered if he ever found a church community that would love him without judgment, without requirements. I sure hope so, but I rather doubt it. It was about the same time in my life that I was in a truck driving PA equipment to a church camp where Sheila and I were leading worship. I had a young man with me who was always willing to help us. He would work tirelessly setting up, tearing down, and running sound in the services. But more than that, he had become a really good friend. As we drove to the camp, he confided in me that he was gay. I don't know why he chose me to come out to. I knew nothing about the subject. I believed it was bad and sinful, but the truth is, I didn't even really know why. He asked if we could meet and talk about it on a regular basis, which I had agreed to do. He told me a story and how he had struggled his entire life. He talked to me about how he had begged God over and over and over to change him, but no such change occurred. So I began to read and study on this subject. I read stories of conversion therapy, but I didn't really buy into that idea even back then. I was pretty sure that God could change someone and maybe at times has, but I certainly didn't see that as the norm. The truth is that many thousands of Christians have tried to pray the gay away, as they say, but God didn't seem to answer that prayer too often, if ever. So I was pretty sold on the idea that my friend just had to live in celibacy his entire life. He just had to choose not to love. Well, that's what I believed. It just didn't seem right. I was telling my friend that he was never allowed to enjoy intimacy that he had to choose to live his whole life alone, that he would never experience the joy of children or grandchildren. He would never grow because of the love his partner has for him. And I rationalized by saying that it was all just the hand he was dealt. Bad luck, I guess. That's what I told myself, and that's what I told him, but I never liked it. Something just seemed wrong with that idea. Why was I allowed to enjoy the gift of intimacy, of love, of oneness, but not him? Is God really that callous and that cruel? And there I sat in my confusion for quite a long time. In my last series, I was talking about things that trigger our deconstruction or that push us into stage two of deconstruction. And this issue was one of them for me. I was so uncomfortable with a God that would hold the greatest gift of all humanity, love. A God that would say, you are not allowed to love or to be loved. You were just dealt a bad hand, tough luck. 
But God was the dealer. In fact, God controlled the deck. I just couldn't come to terms with that. In the years from the late 1990s until now, I have done many hours of reading and studying on this subject. I have spent hours in the six Bible passages that are used to condemned homosexuality. I've been in discussion groups on the subject and tried to listen to both sides of this Christian debate on the issue. I first had to let go of the idea that being queer is a choice because that's what I used to believe. But even getting to that point was a journey. I would begin to say something like this. Well, I don't know if a person is born gay or if they're socialized into it, but I would say either way, it's not their fault. I came to believe that the underlying cause, whether they were born that way, whatever the cause was, really wasn't that important in the conversation because either way, it still was not acceptable to God. Then after more study, I slowly came to understand that we are all actually born with a sexual orientation. It might be to the opposite sex or it might be to the same sex or maybe even both. To be honest, there is a lot of debate about why this is, even outside of Christian circles. But there's not much debate on whether it's true or not. It seems that the vast majority of people are born with a heterosexual orientation. In fact, only about 3 to 5% of people are born with a same-sex orientation. But just because heterosexuality is more common, it doesn't mean that it's more normal. And that's an important distinction. A same-sex orientation is not abnormal. In the same way that left-handed people make up only about 10% of the population, being left-handed is not abnormal. Both are perfectly normal one is just more common. The truth is that as I came to an understanding of sexual orientation, it made the Bible seem like less clear because the passages that we find in the Bible all treat the subject as a matter of choice. It always assumes that homosexuality is a choice that one makes. So all of this just left me more confused. But as I continued to grow in my understanding of the Bible, I began to realize that what we're talking about when we speak of LGBTQIA in our world today and what scripture is talking about in the six or seven passages that deal with the subject is not at all the same thing. And then when I learned that the word homosexual was first used in our English Bibles only in 1946, 
and that it was actually a mistranslation of the Greek, I was even more shocked and maybe a little more confused. We'll get into all this later. But I was able then to let go of the fact that the Bible condemned my friend to a life without love. It doesn't. But then in my continued journey, I would say something like this. I don't think that homosexuality is God's original plan for humanity, but I do think there is grace in every situation. I think God accepts LGBTQ people just like he accepts me. And at that point, I came to the conclusion that God could bless same-sex marriage, even though it was kind of second best in God's view. It was actually consistent with my view of divorce at the time. I remember when I first started doing weddings, the question in Baptist circles was, would you marry a couple where one of the partners was divorced? Many of my contemporaries would not. If you were divorced at that time, it was hard to get a job in a church. My view was that divorce was not God's plan, but grace overcomes everything. I held the same view of gay marriage. But now some 15 years into this journey, I've come to understand that God not only accepts LGBTQI people, but God celebrates them. They are not less than because of who they love. Same-sex marriage is not second best. God celebrates love and commitment and sacrifice, which are all part of the human relationship. God celebrates healthy relationships however they exist. In the midst of my journey over these years, I was employed in a church where my views clashed with some of my colleagues, for whom I have deep love and respect. And those are not just words, I mean it. These are some of my best friends and incredible people whose love for the people that they serve is extraordinary. Among the staff, I felt free to voice my opinions, and I am incredibly grateful for that. I was never once asked to keep my opinions to myself or to change my views. In fact, there was always an openness to the conversation. Our church had a very welcoming view toward the LGBTQ community, although they weren't necessarily affirming. And I think that's true in many churches today, and I want to address that subject in the upcoming podcast, but I'll leave that for now. But even as positive as my situation was, I still felt conflicted. There was a lesbian couple in our church that were friends of mine. They were part of our creative arts volunteer team, and I had worked with them for a number of years. They were committed and faithful. When they decided to get married, they asked me if I would perform their wedding. Theoretically, in South Africa, a same-sex marriage is a civil union and not a marriage, 
but there isn't much difference other than the paperwork. But when they first asked me, I told them I would love to, but given the situation, I needed to talk to the church leadership first. But after a lot of thought and prayer, I decided not to put the leadership in the position of having to make that call. They probably would have told me to do what I think was best, but I knew that if I did the wedding, it would create major controversy in the church. And I didn't feel like that was my call to make. I called my friends and told them that out of respect for the leaders, who were also some of my best friends, I had to say no. It was a very difficult thing to do. They were incredibly gracious, and we are still friends to this day, and they've given me permission to share this with you. Did I make the right call? I don't know. Maybe not. I know I did the best I could trying to respect both parties. I tell that story to illustrate the conflict and tension that existed in me. I know that that same conflict exists in many pastors these days. Over the past year or so, I've tried to connect with my LGBTQ friends, some that I've spoken about here and others, to apologize for my views and attitudes and wrong teaching. I have been met with grace and understanding every time, for which I'm deeply grateful. These people have helped shape me and impacted my life very deeply. To any others that I may have influenced wrongly or hurt because of my views, I'm sorry. To those who have been hurt by the church or by insensitive leadership in the church, I am deeply sorry and I hope that you can find healing and grace in your life just as it is. Know that there are many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus that love you and accept you and celebrate you just as Jesus himself does. You are not an abomination to God, but rather a child that is loved and accepted and celebrated exactly as you are. So where do we go from here? Well, in the following episodes, I'd like to share some of the study and research that has gone into my change beliefs. We'll look at the passages in the Bible that seem to speak against the LGBTQ community, both in the Old and New Testament. And then I want to talk about the role that I believe the church needs to have toward our LGBTQIA brothers and sisters And then we'll just see where we go from there. A few weeks ago, I had pretty much decided that it was time to bring this podcast to an end. 
It's been much more difficult getting these podcasts done living in an RV without even a closet to record in. We have spotty internet connection with really slow upload speeds most of the time, which adds to the difficulty. I also wasn't sure I had anything left to say that I hadn't already said. But then I was challenged by a friend to speak on these issues. And when he spoke, it was as if God was speaking right to my heart. I know that sounds weird. I get it. But I don't know any other way to say it. It's just what it is. So this is me just trying to be faithful to that call. I am very aware that this subject is complex and can be extremely difficult. But understand, this is not just an intellectual debate. There are real people, real lives at stake here, some of whom you probably know. They might be working next to you every day or sitting in the pew next to you on Sundays. They might be the children of your friends, or they might be your children or grandchildren. We owe it to them to at least enter into this discussion with an open mind. We owe it to them to be willing to accept the fact that our views might be wrong and that we may need to change our minds. And that, by the way, is the definition of repentance. And repentance is one of the core tenets of our faith. So I hope you will join me in this journey as we explore what God might be saying in these complex days. So until next time, Shalom. Shalom.